Hello, and welcome to this edition of the Thinking Christianly podcast. Listeners, you've heard me mention Global Scholars throughout the past year's episode, and I thought that it might be helpful to get a bit of a backstory of why we get to work with this ministry and the many ways that the mission of Thinking Christianly and Global Scholars complement each other. So I am here with Dr. Stan Wallace, and he is the CEO of Global Scholars. And I would like to ask you, Stan, would you give us an overview of the work of Global Scholars and then let us know how you fit into that work? Uh, Sure. Yeah, this is my 12th year with Global Scholars. I've been president and CEO for nine years. Uh, Many have observed that as the university goes, so goes our culture and world. Uh, because ideas flow from our universities that are carried by graduates who become leaders in all fields, in business, media, law, politics, education, the arts, uh, even the church. And the bad news is that worldwide, an estimated 95% of professors don't share a Christian worldview. So they teach from other perspectives. It might be a materialist perspective, which would include an atheist and a humanist perspective or a pantheist perspective that God is all and all is God, or even a postmodern perspective that relativizes truth. The the good news is that God has his people in the university. An estimated 5% of the professors worldwide are Christ followers, but they're not connected with one another and mm-hmm. aren't, aren't equipped to be salt and light in, in the university among their students and their colleagues. So by and large, they're silent. They try to just keep their head down and do their work. And it gives the, the students the impression that that no professors believe the Christian message. So the non-Christian students don't even consider the claims of Christ. And the Christian students often struggle with their faith. They often lose their faith. Let, let me tell you a story. Here's an example. His name is Mike. And I met him his first week on campus as a young freshman and uh, was just a sharp guy, a natural born leader, was excited about his faith, told me he's really excited to both grow in Christ and have a ministry among his his friends here at, at college. So I began to meet with him regularly and disciple him and invited him to our large group meetings to meet other believers. And that was great for five or six weeks. Now, Mike had grown up, by the way, in a, in a very strong Christian home, had come to faith very, very early. Uh, had been very involved in what sounded like a very good youth group all through his time in elementary school, middle school, high school. Parents really built into him, solid home life, uh, both believers. But with all of that, even as a background, about six weeks into his freshman year, he came to me and said, yeah, I'm, I'm done. Wow. And I, I said, Mike, what, what do you mean you're done? He said, well, you know... It doesn't take somebody too long to figure out that if everybody here who knows something thinks Christianity is silly, it's not worth my life. And he said, you know, my professors have been real clear that uh, when you get here to college, you give up those fairy tales. You don't believe that stuff anymore. People who study kind of know that's what what, what you hear before you know any better. And again, same situation. Every one of his professors didn't share uh, his worldview, and they were pretty persuasive in why they believed what they believed. And Took about six weeks with that kind of foundation. <laughs> oh my goodness! I had heard that story from so many students year after year. You know that's been part of the problem. I think that we tended to underestimate the long-term influence of professors. Focus more on the short-term. You know, ministries with immediate results 
number of conversions listed each week or each month. And this is really a long-term game. It took us probably 150, 200 years to lose the university uh, uh, for it to be dominated by secular ideas. And it won't be uh, won back in a couple of weeks or months or years. Uh, it's a long, long game. But uh, I think we're starting to see that more and more, the value of engaging the university as we see our culture become more and more secular. You know, we're, we're starting to wake up as ideas uh, like uh, the issues in sexual ethics or abortion or critical race theory, for instance, are becoming dominant issues in our, in our culture. And they've been issues in the university for 40 years I've been seeing develop. Uh, but now that they're hitting the mainstream, um, you know, we're, we're, we're seeing, okay, these, these ideas do matter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the ideas the university discusses have an impact on us, even though sometimes it takes a while for them to come full bloom in culture. Mm-hmm. Uh, Oz Guinness has a book called The Gravedigger File, where he talks about the church being its own gravedigger. And in a lot of ways, that's what we've done by not responding to these issues, by having more of an anti-intellectual view of, hey, just just talk about Jesus and don't engage in ideas. Uh, and so we're marginalized. It's going to take a while to, to get back in the game, but it starts at the university. So mm. our goal is to is to help that 5% of professors who are Christians to um, come together, know one another, and be equipped to bring God's truth and grace back into our universities worldwide. Wow. So that ultimately every student in the world will, will know at least one Christian professor on campus. And, and that was my story. I can go into it if you want, but uh, that really helped me during my student years. Mm-hmm. I'd love to hear that story. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I went off to college as a young believer. I'd been a, a believer for about 15 months. And, uh, and I had professors my freshman year who every day in class were, were challenging my faith. And I really wasn't sure what to think. And I was where Mike was that I just talked about. But I'd heard about a professor on campus who was a, a believer. His name was Dr. Yamauchi. He's a, a history professor. Uh, I, I never had a class from him. I was not a history major. I was a poli-sci major. But just knowing he was on the faculty helped me realize that, you know what? It isn't the case that nobody believes this stuff. There, there's like a really smart guy here who's a professor as good as the professors I have who actually thinks this is true, follows Christ. And that really, for me, was what I needed and it took to say, no, I'm, I'm, I'm all in and I'm continue to seek the Lord and walk with him. And, and over time, learn how to answer some of those critiques, but it was really just knowing he was there, even though I didn't know all the things that he would have said to respond to the criticisms, they kind of kept me going. One professor, and he wasn't even your professor. No. That is incredible. That yeah. is incredible. I, as I'm thinking, I've had similar experiences. Oh yeah. And I've heard from friends that have had similar experiences. It's like, oh, I knew there was at mm. least one smart person on campus that was a Christian, and something about that right. gave me the courage to be a Christian on campus too. Exactly. Wow. Exactly. So, as you're working with professors to integrate their academic role with their faith. Are you asking them to stick a Bible verse in their syllabus? Kind of how does that how does that work? Uh, great question. Yeah, right. So, uh, well, I, it starts with an understanding that that God has called them there for, as Esther says, such a time as this, mm-hmm. that they do have a uh, uh, a vocation. It is a calling to be a Christian professor. It's not just a job. 
uh, that there's intrinsic value to their work to discover God's truth and 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 disseminate that to teach that. You know, since all truth is God's truth, what is that in your discipline? Uh, and 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 then as they have a chance to uh, think Christianly about those issues, whether they're in physics or biology or psychology or sociology, then to 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 see where biblical truth uh, intersects with those things they're studying. And it might intersect in ways that that supports theories in their discipline that they can then develop and advance. You know, certain views of the soul advance certain uh, theses within psychology that talk about human flourishing and and mental health. So it's seeing those places where there's already a sense of of, of truth that is discovered through general revelation, and as Christians, they can help unpack that and develop that. And so that results then in, in in you know teaching that is seasoned with salt, so to speak, as Colossians 4 6 talks about. Uh, for instance, a professor in Eastern Europe that works with us does a lot of teaching in sociology. And one of the areas of expertise is popular culture. He's a master at, at helping students see where the gospel, the story of creation, fall, redemption, shows up in movies and in TV shows. You know, where things were good, they went bad, and somebody helped make things right again. I mean, that's the gospel story. That's the, the mm-hmm. three chapters of the gospel, the fourth one being God's ultimate redemption of all things. And so just being able to, whether it's in class, in lectures, or even having a movie night where students come over to his house and they watch popular movies that just come out, and mm-hmm. he, he's just a master asking the right, the right questions to help mm-hmm. identify where is that gospel story, and why do we resonate so much with that, helping students mm-hmm. start to start to sense that there is a notion that this is, this is true truth. This is ultimate truth. This is uh, something that I resonate with when I see it, no matter whether it's in a movie or a TV show or literature or whatnot, and then being able to bridge from that to the gospel. So, you know, that's the kind of ability a professor has Mm -hmm. to, to, to speak truth in ways that deeply integrated into what he or she is doing. Or we have a professor in Western Europe who's a physics professor who, uh, you know, he studies Psalm 19.1, right? The heavens declare the glory of God and the skies proclaim the works of his hands. And he has done such a good job of integrating his biblical worldview and his work in physics that when he showed up, he was told, don't ever speak of your faith. Wow. He was told, you can do really anything you want here. Just don't talk about the Christian worldview. Don't. Don't go there or you're fired. Well, he's done such good work, such good scholarship that basically now he can say anything he wants at any time. He's appropriate in what he does say. But he's asked to give, for example, campus-wide lectures on uh, uniting faith and science, that they're not at war, that they actually complement one another. Wow. Now, it's taken about eight, 10 years to get there, mm-hmm. but uh, it, it's, it's as a result of him doing excellent scholarship and that he's gotten that level of respect and uh, is able to now be very, very open about his faith. That is the long game. It is the long game. That is incredible. But and he's in a very secular culture and one uh, of the few people who, as a result, people will listen to because of his stature as, as, a, as a physicist at a, a leading university in this country. But the call of a Christian scholar sometimes includes critiquing the uh, dominant views in one's field and saying there are good reasons to challenge this notion and, uh, and, and think about this differently. Uh, you know, for many years, there was a view that the universe was eternal, uh, always existed. So there's no need for a 
first cause. And there were Christians who were in the sciences, as well as other disciplines saying, no, we, we know there biblically is a good reason to believe that matter hasn't always existed. Genesis 1, there was a time when God said, let there be. Uh, and so that led to some research projects that ultimately you know, has, has given support for now the, the common theory that you know, the universe did, did begin. It hasn't always existed. So it's, it's encouraging professors who are believers to talk with one another in their fields and realize it's okay to ask these questions, to challenge some of these assumptions, to develop the ideas in my field that are consistent with a biblical worldview, and, uh, and then to research, publish, lecture on those issues. Mm. It's, it's, it's a way that a person can, in the university context, be the aroma of Christ, as 2 Corinthians 2.14 talks about which is very different than just having a Bible on your desk or a verse on the wall and hoping somebody asks. No, it's, mm. it's actually thinking Christianly about what, what you're doing there at the university. Reminds me of a quote from Martin Luther, who says, the Christian shoemaker does his duty not by putting little crosses on the shoes, but by making good shoes because go. God is interested in good craftsmanship. Right. Yeah, that's that idea of the intrinsic value of research mm-hmm. and discovering God's truth in and of itself, even if there's not a practical export. Now, there always is, but in and of itself, the first understanding there's a calling to do good scholarship and to teach well. Wow. It's just incredible to see and to hear about how these professors make use of that platform because they're really, there's something really unique about that time in life with students, especially in those um undergraduate years, marketers have clearly identified if we can get a hold on these people during these years, we've got them for life. And even, you know, as we look back on our favorite music, it's so often from the time when we were that age. So they've really, really identified this is a critical, pivotal moment. I cannot imagine a workplace environment where 95% of my colleagues are potentially antagonistic even toward my beliefs. So how do you, how do you network these Christian professors? What does that look like? So we do so in three ways. First is the web. We helped to establish a global professional society called the Society of Christian Scholars. And online, there's a secure portal that Christian professors can, can use to access whether it's shared resources or, or, or find others in their academic discipline who are believers or find others in their, their geography, whether it's their campus, their city, state, nation. Uh, and we work really hard on, on a term I've come to know, SEO, search engine mm, optimization. Yep. Not my <laughs> field, but I've become aware of this so that any Christian professor who types any term that relates to Christians in the university, the society will show up early on in their listing. Mm. Uh, in fact, recently, a Christian professor from Sri Lanka found the society. Uh, she did a search. Uh, the, the Society of Christian Scholars showed up. She came to a virtual event, a webinar that was being done, and was thrilled because she had no idea that there was this global network 
And she had thought about doing this herself in her nation. She had met three other Christian professors in Sri Lanka and was wanting to network them. But she, you know, she's a full-time professor. She didn't have time Mm -hmm. or energy or even expertise to put together a web presence or find other resources. Mm -hmm. So she was just thrilled to be able to be a part of this growing network of Christian scholars. So that's, that's one through the web. Secondly, is we, we hire regional representatives around the world who are men and women who are from and live in a certain part of the world. So we're not sending people here and there, but we're hiring indigenous folks who do have an academic background, but join us to, uh, to give leadership in that part of the world. They'll travel to campuses. They'll meet professors on that campus. They'll bring them together into a small group who will meet on that campus regularly. They'll provide training. For instance, the South, the Sub-Saharan African Regional Representative recently hosted a conference for Christian professors throughout Sub-Saharan Africa. He hosted it, interestingly enough, in the Gambia, which is a 98% Muslim nation. He moved up there and spent five months there before even starting to work on this conference just to meet and network all the Christian professors in the Gambia. And as they came together, he gave them a vision for this conference. They said, let's do it. And so then they hosted this conference, which ended up having 42 attended from nine countries, another 10 joined from eight other countries online. It was just electric, just meeting one another, realizing there's there's this many of us uh, in this part of the world who follow Christ want to be his witness on campus. Uh, from that, they're starting a Gambian Society of Christian Scholars, and there's already a Nigerian society, and they're starting a Pan-African society. So uh, so that's another, another area is the regional representatives who are focusing on being on the ground, incarnational. In fact, one of our team moved to the Middle East a few weeks ago to spend one to two years there networking Christian professors in that part of the world and finding the person who can serve as the regional representative for the Middle East. So that's actually a prayer request. That's the second way. So the web, our regional representatives, and then partners. We partner with nine other organizations that have some connection to the university. Uh, A number of them are student ministries who serve students, but they also know professors. Uh, For instance, the largest student ministry in Kenya is a partner. Uh, They know hundreds of professors in the country, but they don't have time to serve them or the expertise, their focus is students. So we partner with them to serve and network and equip the professors in that country. Uh, And there's some church planting ministries that plant churches in cities where there are universities. So they have professors who come to their churches, but they're not sure how to equip them to really be effective as professors. So uh, we partner with them to provide that as well. I really can't imagine what it must feel like as one of those professors to meet face-to-face or virtually with someone that says, oh, you too? Mm-hmm. That must be so encouraging. It absolutely is. So I, I can see why that would be such an electric environment. We've talked quite a bit on this show about how impactful professors have been in our lives. I talked about my experience with an excellent professor in episode nine, and both you and JP have mentioned the influence of professors in several episodes I would be remiss if I didn't ask specifically how that long-term professor-student relationship has impacted you and JP. Well, I first met JP when I was in student ministry, and I was having a hard time answering some questions that students were asking me, like Mike, I talked about earlier, and uh, had a class in a summer uh, session with JP on philosophical apologetics, which was just what I needed, but I didn't know that. 
at the time, mm. but it was indeed exactly what I needed to understand. Help me understand there are answers to these questions. And, uh, and, and even if I don't have them all, they're really smart people who are working on these issues and have some good things to say. And so I kept taking more classes with him and really began to influence my thinking more broadly to realize, yeah, all truth is God's truth. What we discover from science and in philosophy and every other area, in fact, does mesh with biblical truth. And there's an integration that needs to happen. And it's fun to see that happen. So that was the start, but then he really became a friend and a mentor. And he was a kind of professor that, that, that we encourage professors around the world to be, who really saw his work as a calling. And so part of his goal or, or, or desire was to find students to disciple in the biblical language of 2 Timothy 2, to, to find faithful men and women that uh, he could shepherd and nurture, who would then go on and do the same with with others. So he started to spend personal time with me and extended time to talk talk about issues I needed to talk about that he thought I really needed to understand or understand better, or I'd have a lot of questions for him. And that was in person during the years I lived in LA and studied under him. And then since I've moved away, it's been on the phone or now Zoom, uh, occasional visits, and uh, has just really shaped everything from my thinking about issues to my practices of spiritual formation to how I think about leadership and serving others. Uh, I, I don't know where I'd be without a, a, a professor like JP to really mentor me. Mm. God has even used him to open doors for me in, in ministry several times. He went to bat for me to, well, one time to, to do further study, get into a, 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 another graduate program. One time as I applied for a position in faculty ministry, really went to bat for me. And actually continues to this day. He just recently encouraged me to write a book that he thinks needs to be written. And he thinks I ought to write it. And he's helping me secure a publisher. And he's going to be looking over drafts of chapters. And so 40 years on almost continues to, as a professor, build into my life and mentor me in in, in ways beyond my wildest dreams. Hmm. That is such a special relationship. And something that other students experience too. I, one of my professors was our marital premarital counselor and, Uh, you know, came and supported us in those early years of marriage. That was really special. mm. And it was something that spoke into our life and we still, him and his wife, we still keep in contact with them. And it's something really unique again, Mm. about seeing, seeing something in someone and saying, Oh, I would love to speak into that. And what a, what a biblical thing to do to help those people along. Mm -hmm. So Stan over on the college faith podcast, you speak specifically to college students and the people who know and love them. I, I think there's some great crossover content for listeners to thinking Christianly. So can you tell me about one of the episodes that really has made an impact on you so far. Sure. Let me tell you how the podcast came to be. Yeah, I've been in university ministry now for, I don't know, 40 years or so. And I always have people ask me, you know, they say, my, my son or daughter is going off to college. How, how can my son, my daughter thrive at the university, both spiritually and intellectually? And, you know, I had some things I could say from the years, but I always thought, boy, if you could just talk to so-and-so, he or she could really help you on that. Then I decided, well, I could just interview all those folks and uh, ask the questions I could ask and they could, everybody could hear from the expert. So that's how it came to be. Mm -hmm. It it tends to be very practical. 
the the interviews tend to really focus on the nuts and bolts of how do I really navigate the process. So I'll, I'll tell you I'll tell you about four that uh, have been a lot of fun. Uh, I, I often interview Christian professors, not always, but often, and uh, I've interviewed four that really have I think done a great job of saying some of the things students really ought to know and and their parents or grandparents or whoever to help them prepare for college. One of my favorite interviews was with uh, one of my heroes in the faith, uh, Ken Elzinga. He's a professor at the University of Virginia. He's actually got the distinction of teaching more students at UVA than anyone in history. Wow. And uh, <laughs> yeah, he, even though he's a very senior scholar, still teaches the Intro to Economics course that a lot of uh, students take. And uh, so I interviewed him about how students succeed at the intersection of Christian conviction and higher education, which is the tagline of the podcast. And he really shared his wisdom from 50 years as a professor. It was a, it was a, a lot of fun. I think anybody would enjoy that podcast, whether they've got somebody going to college or in college or not. Mm. And then uh, another podcast uh, interview was with uh, Dr. Christy Moran Kraft, who's at Kansas State University on thriving as a Christian at a secular university. And she has just got such practical advice from years uh, in the, the education department to help students. Um, just interviewed Michael Kruger. Uh, he was a, uh, a very young believer when he went off to college, University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, and about lost his faith in Religion 101. And uh, he's come full circle, his PhD in New Testament, now is president of a seminary. And, and he wrote a book to his daughter, who's now at UNC Chapel Hill, uh, called Surviving Religion 101. <laughs> mm. And he's, he writes all the things he'd wish somebody would have told him when he went off to school. So I interviewed him on his book, and it was a lot of fun. And he had some great words of wisdom for students. And then the one that just dropped earlier this month was with Mary Poplin who was a self-described radical secularist Marxist who had an agenda to make every one of her students just like she was. Mm -hmm. And uh, she came to faith through a dream. She was so against Christianity. Jesus had to show up in a dream like he's doing to folks in the Middle East. Mm -hmm. And uh, she woke up and realized that's the truth. And she came to faith. Mm -hmm. She shares the story a little bit more in the, in the interview but then she's just spent the last 30 plus years thinking about teaching, speaking at a national level in education. She's top of the game on where biblical principles intersect with the field of education. And uh, she wrote a book called Is Reality Secular? And uh, did a really nice job in that book of painting a picture of why, contrary to what's often promoted in university, the evidence is that reality is not secular, that there is something mm -hmm. beyond what we can see. So those are some of the type of people I have on the podcast. And I, I do think listeners to this podcast would really like that one. Mm -hmm. I have personally enjoyed that podcast. I, I remember, I think I listened to the podcast with the K-State professor over a year ago, and I can still remember some of the advice she gave. It was really good advice. So I would encourage our listeners to, to check that out. And I, even just scrolling through the guests, you have a veritable who's who of academic Christians who just have been really influential. So it's not just anyone saying these things. They, they yeah. really have something to offer and it's, yeah. it's a really special, it's a really special podcast. Oh, thanks. And it's a testament to the men and women God has called and gifted to serve in, mm -hmm. in academic posts. Mm -hmm. It's fun to introduce them to, to others. Mm -hmm. 
So in that vein, in what ways has being the CEO and president of Global Scholars inspired you to hope for future generations of students? Well, I do believe God's working in global higher education. I think he's raising up a generation of men and women who will stand in the gap as Christian professors and proclaim God's truth and grace on campus. I think he's saying to them, I'm, I'm with you. I'm for you. I have called you and I won't leave you alone. They're finding one another, connecting, being equipped in, in, in a number of countries. The challenges are, are huge, whether it's this country or Iran or North Korea or, or what have you. But uh, nonetheless, God has called his men and women to be his ambassadors, to speak uh, for him and to bring his grace and truth uh, into those places that sometimes are very dark. So uh, all, all I can do is pray what the Lord taught us to pray, that your will be done and your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And uh, part of on earth is in our universities. So I have hope for no other reason, but that it's what God wants to see happen. And uh, we're trying to be faithful to do what we can to, uh, through the gifts he's given us, be part of seeing his kingdom come, his will be done in universities as it is in heaven. That is wonderful. And then I get to hear stories from professors of how that's actually happening. Mm-hmm. I get to hear them talk about the ways that even beyond their um, designs, God just acts and gives opportunities and ha- has an influence through them well beyond what they would ever hope or think. Mm. It's one of the joys of my position to mm-hmm. hear all those. <laughs> would you mind sharing one of those if you've got one that comes to mind? Sure. Well, most recently with the war in Ukraine, I'm, I'm hearing a lot from our professors in Europe. Uh, one of our professors lives in Hungary, 30 miles from the Ukrainian border, actually uh, was driving to Ukraine to teach each day. Of course, that school has been shut down right now, but uh, he's been able to help his students and their families. He's trusted. They, you know, they, they've known him as, 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 as a person of faith and a person who cares for them. And so has really been able to, to help them and to coordinate other relief efforts more broadly because of uh, his stature as a professor, his knowledge, his, his connections. So it's been uh, encouraging to watch that. Just got an email today from a professor in Prague, Czech Republic, who is bringing students together who are really struggling, especially those who are from both Ukraine and Russia, mm. and just helping them process and being, being the trusted older mentor to help them kind of work through what's going on. Let me read to you what he said. He just had some of these students over to his house, uh, I guess last night. And he said, there was a Ukrainian, a Czech, one from the Netherlands. And when we got to the Russian student, he hesitated, Mm. unable to bring himself to say where he was from. I volunteered, quote, that country. He said, yes, I'm from that country. Mm. And we had two more students from, quote, that country. Uh, The invasion and the war crimes that have been recently uncovered have caused much humiliation for Russian students. Mm -hmm. And so just has been able to have a real ministry in the lives of these students to just let them vent to help heal some of the wounds or at least be a sounding board to start to process what's going on. Mm -hmm. And of course, there are many professors throughout Europe who are able to provide housing and other help to refugees. And then I'll tell you about one of the professors that really encourages me. She's a business professor in a very influential Central Asian nation where there are very few women in business. 
but there's openings and opportunities. But uh, women haven't tended to study business. So in her program, there are more and more women. She's at the leading university in the country. So she has many women in her classes. And so she started a women in business group mm-hmm. on campus, uh, which provides training in, in things like writing a resume and interviewing skills and, um, and really just trying to serve these young women who want to be in, in business. Mm-hmm. And it's opened many doors because, of course, as a professor, she doesn't have to do this. She can really just, you know, just mm-hmm. do her job and go home. But doing this just opens doors for the gospel. They ask her, why are you doing this? Why are you helping us? And she's able to share the love of Christ with him. Mm-hmm. Actually, she told me it starts long before that. It starts with her memorizing the students' names mm-hmm. because most professors don't. They don't really care for you enough to know your name. Mm-hmm. And when she starts calling students by name, she says everything changes because they realize I really do care for them mm-hmm. and they, they want to know me then. And, and, and they aren't intimidated by me as the big professor, but I'm somebody who they can relate to now. Mm-hmm. So I just love the way she, uh, you know, has leveraged her position. She really opened mm-hmm. some doors on campus. Uh, and again, it's natural for her. You know, if, if a campus minister goes onto campus and tries to do that, you can maybe do it, but it's, it's like, well, why are you here? Why are you doing that? But I mean, she's just there. That's, mm-hmm. This is where she works. She is a employee of the university. So it's, just, it's, it's, it's not unusual. And it's not strange. Those are excellent stories. And all of those too put this professor in the student's life, as you mentioned earlier, for such a time as this. Yeah. I, I can't imagine those things that come up in life to have someone there to, to help walk you through them, especially at a secular university. Mm-hmm. That is a really, it's a really powerful thing. I'm so grateful to them and we'll be praying for them. Thank you. Yes. Well, I am going to close this out with one of my favorite authors and one of my favorite essays. This is Why Work by Dorothy Sayers uh, in Letters to the Diminished Church. And it is a simple line that just really has had a powerful impact on my life, both as a student and now as a person who engages with with the world as an adult. And the quote is this, the only Christian work is good work well done. And as these professors do their good work, we will also pray that they will have the strength to do it in a way that accomplishes that well done, good and faithful servant, both here on earth. I hope they feel that as professors, but also as we look forward to the day when our Lord will be able to say that to them as well. Mm -hmm. We are grateful to them. Grateful to you. Thank you so much for your leadership in this ministry. It's a really powerful one. Thank you. And uh, appreciate that. We think it's really well worth the time of both the listener and really anyone that is interested in how how faith and academics integrate. All right, Stan, so where can listeners go to get more information? Well, the best place to go is our, our website, which is www.global-scholars.org. And in fact, there are three videos there that listeners might enjoy. One is a personal message from me about a three-minute video Uh, sharing why I am so passionate about this and how uh, students around the world are served by Christian professors. And there's a little bit of a longer video. uh, It's about four and a half minutes uh, entitled why and how we equip Christian professors, which gets a little more into the nuts and bolts. And then if somebody's really interested, there's a little longer one that unpacks our current strategic plan to 
to double the number of professors we're impacting by 2023. So it's at global-scholars.org. And also we mentioned the podcast and that is at collegefaith.net. And it's also on all the podcast platforms. Wonderful. Thanks for your time today, Stan. And thank you listeners for your attention. We are grateful for you. Thank you. That brings us to the end of this edition of the Thinking Christianly podcast. I hope you've enjoyed this conversation in the pursuit of faith seeking understanding. Be sure to check out today's show notes at www.thinkingchristianly.org slash podcasts, where you can find more information and the resources we discussed. Finally, please do visit our sponsor, Global Scholars. Until next time, this is Jordan Plank, encouraging you to think Christianly.